This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please take your Bibles, and would you turn with me to Job 29. I'm sorry, Job 39 is what I meant to say. Let's review. Two weeks ago, we started to look at the first speech, the first admonition that God gives to his servant Job. God had been silent for some time. God had been silent, and then God breaks his silence. God breaks his silence in a whirlwind. It has been silent, except for these debates that Job and his friends are having together. And then God speaks with a mighty, mighty voice. Now, he doesn't always choose to do that in the scripture. With Elijah, he spoke with a still, small voice. But God does this with Job to remind him that there is someone in control. And now for chapters, through these debates that he's been having with his friends, the one who is in control was called into question. Does he really know what he's doing? So I gave you this thought. Again, Elmer Smick pointed out, that in this encounter, God offers Job no theological explanation of the mystery of his suffering. The reader is told why Job was suffering in the prologue. We get the benefit of seeing that. But that is to show that Job was innocent. Job was never told this. Had he been told, the book would have immediately lost his message to all other sufferers. In other words... God didn't give Job an explanation, and you should not expect one. That's the point. If God had given Job an explanation, you'd be wondering, all right, Lord, I'm in a trial. Talk to me. He doesn't have to talk to you. Apart from what he has already said to you. And this is sufficient. And so we were reminded human reasoning must ever bow before God's revelation of himself. Excellent statement there by John Phillips. So Job hears God's first speech. And we took time in chapter 38 to notice that God reveals to Job, and through questions, 55 questions, he reveals to Job that he is the creator, the creator of earth, of sea, of the day, and the night. And then he reveals to Job that he rules inanimate nature, the depths of the seas, the expanses. God keeps all that where it needs to stay. The light, the darkness, the weather, the stars, the floods. God controls all of that. 
I want us to look now at the final part of this. Where he talks about the floods. Let's just consider that together. That's as far as we got the last time. But look at chapter 38. I'm going to have you back up into the previous chapter. Look at chapter 38 and verse 34. Again, these are questions that are meant to see us as we are in light of who God is. So verse 34. Canst thou lift up thy voice to the clouds, that abundance of waters may cover thee? Speaking about the rain. Canst thou send lightnings that they may go and say unto thee, Here we are. If we could put it in modern English, the Lord is saying, Job, do the lightnings report to you. Verse 36, Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts, or who hath given understanding to the heart? You may want to make a note about verse 36. This is an intended pause. So the Lord is showing Job, uh, reminding him about inanimate nature, that which is not alive, but that which God controls. And in this verse, verse 36, he is saying, Job, you can see some of these things, but you do, but do you really have the intelligence to comprehend them? Last evening, Garrett and I were, were traveling, and uh, we saw lightning in the sky. We had a discussion about lightning. The discussion was, where does it hit on the ground? He had read some things saying it hits in the same place, and, 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 and we, were, we were debating that, talking about that. But the reality is, we can't say for sure. God knows. So the Lord is bringing Job to what the psalmist admitted in Psalm 115 and verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Now look at verse 37. Who can number the clouds in wisdom? Or who can stay or pour out the bottles, the rain containers in heaven? Who can do that? Only God. We were traveling back from South Carolina this week. No clouds in the sky that we could see, sunshine, and it started raining on our car. Have you ever had that experience? Renee's looking out. Where's that even coming from? God controls the rain bottles. You don't, and I don't even have to see the rain clouds to know he's doing this. Verse 37, can you number the clouds in wisdom? Or who can stay, pour out, the again, the rain containers? Verse 38, when the dust grows into hardness and the clouds cleave fast together, can you control what the rain does when it hits the earth here? I can. You can. So all that happens in the heavens around us and under our feet is controlled by God who created it all. When you struggle with your circumstances and you wonder, is God paying attention? Does God care? Does God see? Here's what creation is already telling you. He's in control. You and I can only observe a fraction of creation. And despite what the climate cultists say, we don't control the climate. Christian, when you suffer and it seems random, 
harsh, illogical. Remember who has been controlling inanimate nature for 6,000 years. And he is in control of what concerns you. Now God created the earth, sea, day, and night. He rules inanimate nature. But God also rules animal nature. One of the exciting things about heaven and the new earth, even the millennium, will be our increased ability to be able to interact with the animal kingdom. The millennium is going to be exciting. Where animals aren't threatened by us, we're not threatened by them. That'll be fun. I think God, when he, our Lord, when he renews the earth, when Jesus sits on the throne in Jerusalem, uh, part of that renewal is he's going to bring out the animals that we haven't been, even been able to see yet. Okay? There are places on this planet where those who are willing to admit it say there are probably dinosaurs. But we're so finite, we can't even cover all this earth. We think we can. But we don't know what's out there. We don't know what God may be hiding just because a bunch of people decided to believe evolution instead of creation. And God says, all right, I'm going to hold back from you to be able to see what I really have done. Stay tuned. But God rules animal nature. And this is what happens, what he begins to question Job about at the end of chapter 38. Look at verse 39. Wilt thou hunt the prey for the lion, or fill the appetite of the young lion? When they couch in their dens and abide in the covert. What's that mean? When they are hidden in their cover, and they lie in wait. You ever seen... Uh, in tall jungle grass pictures of a lion just waiting, abiding his time. Dinner is going to be served. Okay? God is saying, Job, explain that. Who provides for the raven his food when his young ones cry unto God and wander about is the idea there. For lack of meat. The raven. God controls the raven. Oh, by the way, he so controls the raven when his prophet Elijah needed to eat. I don't know about you. I don't think I want a raven to be DoorDash, but that's what happened in Elijah's day. And it wasn't roadkill. He was bringing, bringing, they were bringing Elijah good food. By the way, proving who controls the raven. God does. God does. But Job, can you explain that? Not only does he provide for their nourishment, but notice in the animal kingdom, he controls procreation. 39 now in verse 1. Knowest thou the time when the wild goats of the rock bring forth? Or canst thou mark the time, idea there, when the hinds do cat, when the deer brings forth? Explain that. We don't, we don't witness that. Verse 2, canst thou number the months that they fulfill? Or knowest thou the time when they bring forth? They bow themselves, they bring forth their young ones, they cast out their sorrows. 
what causes temporary pain, they forget that for the sake of their young. Their young ones are in good liking. They grow up with corn. They go forth and return not unto them. A reminder here that naturally the parents, these animals, prepare their young to go and live on their own. I can't explain that. Can you explain that, how they do that? We train and train, our tra- and train our kids on Father's Day, right? We remember that. And when they go out, they do just exactly what we've trained them to do. Not always. But you know, that's what happens in the animal kingdom. Again, God's marvel. Why are we taking time to look at all these verses? You're saying, why all this detail? Because we can't just rush through. These are the questions that God said to Job. Ask Job. And with every question, God gets bigger, Job gets small. So God feeds the animals. He oversees their reproduction. He also oversees their freedom. Verse 5, who hath sent out the wild ass to be free? Or who hath loosed the bands of the wild ass? Whose house I have made the wilderness and the barren hills. In the Hebrew, that's the salt places where it's difficult for anything to survive. That's their dwelling. Ever been to the Grand Canyon? The burrows that are out there? You look around, how does anything live out here? God helps them to do that. Verse 7, he scorns the multitude of the city, neither regards he the crying of the driver. Uh, Literally, it's talking about the exactor, the, the, the merchant, all right, who uses animals to earn a living. He doesn't regard that. You have to train and train animals to listen to you, and that's not a guarantee. God controls their freedom. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searches after every green thing. He oversees their freedom. Next, he gives them untamed strength. Verse 9, will the unicorn be willing to serve thee? Now I got everybody's attention. The what? (laughs) This is not a horse with a horn. Okay, it's not what this is. In fact, there's debate among Bible scholars what this is speaking about exactly. We know in the Psalms and other places in the Old Testament that there's a reference to the wild ox. The, the, the oxen, these, these wild cattle in, uh, in Bashan and, and other places where it was just very difficult to control. And this is probably a wild ox or even a water buffalo. There are places where they train them, tame them from early on, and they use them in rice paddies and so on. But you don't walk up to a mature water buffalo and say, hey, you're going to serve me. There's another word for that. It's called rodeo. <laughs> now, some Bible scholars think this refers perhaps to a rhino. Imagine going and putting a rope around his neck and saying, hey, come serve me. Will the unicorn, wild ox, whatever this is, be willing to serve thee or abide in thy crib? Try put him in a pen. 
Canst thou bind the unicorn with his band, with a band of rope in the furrow to get him to plow for you? Or will he harrow plow the valleys after thee? Wilt thou trust him because his strength is great? Or wilt thou leave thy labor to him? Will you have him work for you? Wilt thou believe, will you trust him, that he will bring home thy seed, your grain, and gather it into thy barn? Now the Lord is speaking to a farmer, isn't he? Job's a farmer. He's got herds. He has seen every one of these beasts that the Lord mentions, Job has seen this beast. Job has animals that serve him, but Job knows, I've seen this beast, no. I'm not trying to use him to do my farming. But here's the point. Job knows God uses these beasts to fulfill his will. Let me just give you an example, a modern example of this, to help help illustrate what the Lord is trying to say to Job here. Many of you will remember that uh, not too many years ago, there was intense persecution in Orissa, India. The radical Hindus there were killing Christians, burning churches. It was bad. But missionaries in that area said that as the believers prayed, as the missionaries prayed, there was one afternoon where a herd of elephants stampeded out of the jungles surrounding Orissa. They came into the village... They started to destroy Muslim homes, picking out the Muslim homes. I'm sorry, the Hindu homes. They're destroying these homes. And as quick as they rushed out of the jungle to do that, they rushed back into the jungle. If you've been listening to the news, the persecution and what's been happening on earth, it is lessened because all the Hindus realized The only way we can explain that is the Christian's God is on their side. Now, did God have to do that? No. Is God in control of animal creation? Yes, he is. And so here's my challenge to you, and I think it comes right out of the book of Job here. We tend to think zoo trips are for children, right? When you're wondering if God has lost control of your circumstances, take a zoo trip. Scripture says, consider the ant thou sluggard. God is saying to Job, consider my beasts, including their strength, you doubter. So God gives them untamed strength. Let's move on. He gives them vast uniqueness. Verse 13, Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks, or wings and feathers unto the ostrich? Aren't the birds beautiful? Isn't it amazing what God spoke into existence? I'll confess, I'm a bird watcher. I marvel at the different tones and all the different colors. And then I marvel at their songs. How how does that happen? How's that happen? But consider their uniqueness. 
God expands on what he said about the ostrich, which leaveth her eggs in the earth and warmeth them, uh, warms them in dust, and forgets that the foot may crush them or that the wild beast may break them. Those eggs are hunted, by the way. So here is an animal that has that lays eggs and puts those eggs where they're the most vulnerable. Does that make any sense to you? And oh, by the way, when you watch the mother, here's what you notice, verse 16, she is hardened against her young ones, as though they were not hers. Her labor is in vain without fear. The idea here, she doesn't care. You say, now, that's weird. This doesn't make any sense. But you know, for 6,000 years on this planet, there have been ostriches. Why? Because the God who built that uniqueness and even what seems like carelessness, they don't care. He does. Here they are. Because God hath deprived her of wisdom. He willingly built into the ostrich that lack of sense. Neither hath he imparted to her understanding. What time she lifteth herself up on high, she scorns the horse and his rider. She's not afraid of anything. Now, by the way, I do know that that's all true. Okay, Pat. My folks, for a time, raised ostriches. They taste good, but they're a pain. That's why they were raising ostriches. Because they had friends who thought it was a good idea, and they had ostriches. I think that lasted like six months. But anyway... All right, everything. don't turn your back on an ostrich. They're not afraid of anything. What's the point? Vast uniqueness. That, by the way, isn't explained by any evolutionary process. Give me a break. But it does reveal God. So animals are unique, often appear dumb, without wisdom, but even their careless behavior is the design of the Almighty, showing He can and does sustain them. We need to move on. Then He gives fearless speed. There is one animal that continues to be a marvel to man. Consider the horse. Verse 19. Hast thou given the horse strength? Hast thou clothed his neck with thunder? Canst thou make him afraid as a grasshopper? I approach a grasshopper and he's gone. Not the horse. The glory of his nostrils is terrible. In other words, when he snorts, and by the way, again, I, I was raised around horses, rode horses all my life. When a horse is snorting, you better be paying attention because he's not happy. Okay? That word terrible is the word for terror. He paweth in the valley, rejoiceth in his strength, and goeth on to meet the armed men. In other words, and and the Hebrew here is the men clothed in armor. Not intimidated by that. He mocks at fear and is not affrighted. He's not afraid, neither turns he his back from the sword. 
the quiver rattles against him, the glittering spear and the shield. He swallows the ground with fierceness and rage. Neither believeth he that it is uh, the sound of the trumpet. He saith among the trumpets, ha ha. He scoffs him is the idea. And he smells the battle afar off, the thunder of the captains and the shouting. I was studying or reading about some history recently where they were talking about one of, uh, remember the great commander of, of Carthage, Hannibal. And what did he use to go into battle? He used elephants. Do you know there was a Roman army that turned Hannibal on his heels because it was, an, it was a smaller army, but they strategically placed trumpets. And when the elephants got close, they all blew their trumpets. And the elephants went nuts, scared them to death, and they ran off. The point is, with a horse, blow your trumpet. He's not going anywhere. So God told Israel when they went to battle not to put their trust in his horses. <laughs> They're great in battle, but don't trust them. You trust me. He's saying, you can trust me, the one who made the horse. When you battle life's trials, if you're trusting me, you won't turn back. And then he guards or guides the birds of prey. We're moving along. Verse 26, doth the hawk fly by thy wisdom and stretch forth her wings towards the south? Doth the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth on the rock, upon the crag of the rock and the strong place, from whence she seeketh the prey, and her eyes behold afar off. Scientists tell us that the eagle flies as high or higher than any other bird, from that height can see the prey here. Who gave him that kind of eyesight? The same God who sees everything happening with you from heaven. He goes on. Her young ones also suck up blood. And where the slain are, there is she. There can be a great battle. There can be chaos and carnage left. And who swoops in to dominate the battlefield? God's birds. Oh, by the way, Battle of Armageddon. Study the book of Revelation. Uh, to clean up that mess, God's going to send in his birds of prey. So in every part of the earth, God maintains and sustains the animal kingdom. Some of it we still haven't seen. Realize, it, it amazes me. You know, scientific discovery. We found a new fish. We, we found a new animal. Oh, I thought we knew everything. No, he does. And what we have seen, there is so much that we can't explain or comprehend. How many of the 55 questions that God asked Job can you answer? So let's make this personal. One of the most difficult things for me as a pastor, it's a blessing when I can take people to the word of God, but you sometimes will come to me and say, Pastor, please explain to me what God's doing. I can't. Those are hard questions. Here's what's really frustrating though. I'll take the word of God and I'll say, let's go see what God has revealed about himself. And literally I can see it on Christians' faces. Well, I don't think I need that. 
Yeah, you do. And so do I. Oh, any of these questions that God asked Job, can you answer? And yet, when something doesn't go the way you want it to, that I want it to, how often do we demand answers from God? His leading question to you is this. Look at chapter 38 and verse 2. We're going to back up. I skipped this on purpose. Here's the leading question. Who is this that darkeneth counsel? So God is speaking to Job. Who who is this? Who is obscuring my counsel by words without knowledge? It's almost as if God is saying, Job, say that again. Makes me smile on this Father's Day. There were things that I said to my dad, and the look on his face was, Do you want to say that again? Do you want to ask that again? And knowing who my dad was, it was like, uh, No. No, I don't, I don't, I should not have said. That's the point. That's what God is doing with Job. So God is telling finite little Job that his professed knowledge is obscuring a clear reality. Don't forget this. What's the reality? The same infinite wisdom of God that controls the universe is working on Job's behalf. Don't let your finite mind obscure the reality of who your great God is. Don't do it. That's the point of this first time that Job and God have together. So what's Job's response? Chapters 38 to 39 are proof that Job knew very little about God's world. And the more we learn today, the less we realize we know. Notice Job's first response, chapter 40, verses 3 and 5. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. It literally means I am light. I'm little. I'm insufficient in my knowledge. Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. So Job is in his heart and verbally repenting to God. And here's ultimately what he says to the Lord. I don't have an answer. I don't have a rebuttal. One of the best spiritual exercises for you and I is to do this every time things go sideways in our life and we feel like things are out of control. And by the way, sometimes those things can go on weeks and months and years. The best thing you can do is to bring glory to your God by putting a hand over your mouth and looking to Him. In most churches, there are believers, young and old, who are through with God because their severely difficult deficient knowledge is blaming the Almighty for what they can't figure out. 
There are probably Christians who are not in this assembly this morning. They're at home. They may not even be watching, but if they are watching, they're home, they're discouraged, they're trying to do the right thing, but they've quit on God because they don't feel God has given them the explanations that they deserve. Again, God doesn't owe them an explanation. Romans 9.20, Nay, man, nay, but, O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? What he requires is expectant faith, but two actions must come before that. Again, put your hand on your mouth, humbly repent. If accusatory thoughts come, start to rise in your heart, if you yield to those fleshly thoughts, that's sin. If you, that just, but before you yield to that temptation, just go to God. Go to God. Did you notice God never gave Job a pity party? Job, come here. It's going to be okay. In fact, in a woke society like we have, oh, I don't like this guy. He spoke out of a whirlwind and he asked questions. Yeah, he wanted Job to start thinking. We don't like to think. But this is God, and what was God doing? What was best? There are children that don't like their dad because he happens to speak the truth to them. Well, he tells me what's old-fashioned. That worked in his day. Well, if it's God's truth, it still works today. And so we close with all the national upheaval in Jeremiah's day as he witnessed the total overthrow of the Jewish kingdom and the start of 70 years of captivity. I don't know. I check the news every morning. It drives me to my, my Bible prayer. But I don't know from one day to the next what kind of shape my country is going to be in. Jo, uh, Jeremiah woke up to that every day. And every day it was worse. And then one day there were enemies outside the city walls. But listen to what God said to his prophet in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. I love this. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. What's the expected end? Not what Mike's anticipating. Listen. What God has already decided. And those thoughts are of peace, not of evil. Did God fulfill his plan for Israel? He sure did. By the way, they're back there. Did God fulfill his plan for Job? Yeah, he lived to a ripe old age. Here's the question. Are you one of God's children? Is your God any different than Job's God? If you know him, the answer is, same God. Same great purposes, same love, same mercy, same expected end. Look to God. 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony of Job. And God, thank you for the questions you asked him. We've taken time, Lord, to honor you by looking at every one of these questions. Some preachers would just summarize, but Lord, your spirit would not let me do that because these questions reveal your greatness, our finiteness, and Lord, they remind us of your absolute wonderful control. And so Lord, no matter what I face, what attempts to discourage me, to quit, to want to stop serving, to question. Lord, the reality is you're God and I just need to cling to you. Thank you for the life of Job. Now, Holy Spirit, would you minister to hearts here today, each of your children, but Lord, especially those today that are recovering from circumstances or right in the midst of some storm. Holy Spirit, would you speak to their hearts today and help them to speak back to you words of trust? Lord, perhaps confessing where they've questioned you, they've doubted you, said things that were accusatory as Job did. Lord, would you work now, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.